episode of Rude Cast Archery with Rudy and Wendell. You sound like me. I sound nothing like you. you. And for some reason, you sound just like me. I keep thinking your voice is mine. Well, the mics are definitely working and recording now. So. I, I know. It's this weird-ass diet, dude. It's changing our uh, changing our, our pipes. How much weight have you lost so far? 18 pounds. That's incredible. No. 31 pounds is incredible. And you're going to go over. Yeah. I started, what, at 266 and I'm at 232. <laughs> What's really funny is Hillary was like, she was telling me, she was like, Man, you told Rudy that he wasn't allowed to do it, and then you let him in, and now he's like killing all you guys. And I was like, "Yeah, I know." That's why I didn't want to let him do it. And then she was like, "You guys should make a, another contest to see who can hold the weight off." And I was like, "Rudy wants to do that. No one else wants to do it. Like e- everyone else is chickening well, out." I think there's a benefit to losing weight and getting in better shape. That's going to help our archery. So you think so? Absolutely. I'm hoping that all this running I'm doing is like lowering my blood pressure to you know help. I me. think it is. Deal well, with nerves. Anyways, we are recording now. So. Oh, we're live? Yeah. Oh, man. Well, Wendell Souza here, along with host Rudy Sandoval, who uh, believes that marriage should be between a man and a woman, and Wendell Souza, again, who believes in free love. <laughs> um, okay. We're here for archery today. Yeah, sounds good to me. Um, and, uh, all right, so... Obviously, we've been doing this weight loss challenge, and I think everyone's been kicking some pretty serious butt with it. We've been doing okay. There's there's only, what, is there five guys in our weight loss challenge? Yeah. And All archers. There's one guy, uh, Brandon, who's not telling us how much weight he's lost until Monday, but I would gamble that Rudy has lost the most weight. Rudy's lost in a neighborhood of like 30-ish pounds, right, Rudy? Yeah. I said two months. Mm-hmm. And that's just from diet. Well, diet and walking every day, yeah. and then and then I did go hunting for ten days where I walked about eight miles a day. How do you feel like this diet slash weight loss has helped your archery? Well, it definitely I think helped me out tremendously on my hunt because just the amount of energy that I have and not carrying thirty extra pounds. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh. You know, in, in, on top of your pack and your bow and, you know, elk hunting can be, has its own frustrations. Right. And having to, I think having to have had carried all that extra weight would have really. Ultimately, yeah. If, yeah. if you can think of a 30 pound dumbbell, that's a, that's 30 pounds that you're not yeah. carrying with you all the time. Yeah. I mean, that, it's like you see the, all those uh, ultralight guys trying to lighten their packs and lighten their loads oh yeah i'm one of those guys when i go back country uh, back country backpacking i have like an ultralight setup yeah i mean so essentially it's like you can start with your gut yeah big time no it was it was it was good though because then it's like i could actually like fit the straps on my pack a little better i still think it was i still have like another 20 to go but damn and you've been doing this just cutting carbs and eating right pretty much keto yeah and keeping it clean I mean, I, I want to say I wasn't, I'm not in ketosis like 100% of the time, Uh huh. but I try to stay between like 10 to 15% of my daily intake of food is carbs. 10 to 50 grams or 50%? Percent. Oh, percent? percent. Like, you know, like, and I think you need to be like closer to 10% if you're going to be in like ketosis, uh-huh. but I, I, I think just eating clean, I think. This is what really 
You know, Emerson used to be way into keto for the, for like target shooting. Cause he said he could have like steady energy all day long. Well, that's, that's one thing that I did kind of dabble with. Um, because, uh, during, during the outlaw season, um, I, I wasn't doing uh, full on keto, but like I was doing some intermittent fasting and I had lost a little bit of weight. Uh-huh. So like if, we would have started this challenge at my heaviest that I would have probably been closer to like 280 probably. Wow. But, um, I, I would say that when I, when I started doing intermittent fasting and, and cutting out a lot of the carbs and sugar, like I definitely had way more energy. And so like the benefit of that is when you start your day at an event, you're not like starving. Right. Or thinking about food, yeah. thinking about breakfast. And then it's like you're carrying all your gear, you're getting to that first target. And then usually the food that they have at those uh, events is like garbage. It's like hot dogs and hamburgers and stuff. And I love like, that stuff. Well, yeah, it's delicious. But <laughs> it's like then you pay, like you eat it, you have all this energy for like five minutes and then you crash. Dude, the teriyaki meat stick. Who has that? Is that Redding? I don't know. But see, it's one of those shoes. Teriyaki meat stick doesn't sound too bad. But, no, that's good. But like freaking hot dog bun, and then you're like paying for it, you know, on the fourth target. And then, you know, so yeah, totally yes. agree with Emerson on that one that energy levels are. Oh, dude, I'm really proud of you, man. It's really hard. I, I've tried keto, not a fan. And uh, it's really cool seeing you like get disciplined and just cut all this weight. It's, it's it's a tough thing to do when you, you're doing oh, it. Oh, but I'm ready to like have a pizza like any day now. Dude, I might have a pizza tomorrow. I'm like, <sighs> this weight loss challenge has been absolutely a hell for me. Well, I think probably because we're really competitive in nature, like putting this in the form of a contest. Yeah. It's probably not the healthiest thing that we've ever done. Yeah, a couple people will take it far. A couple people will just wimp out and be like, yeah, I, you know, I'm building muscle instead, so my weight's going to stay Adam the Ross same. Adam Ross would never say that. <laughs> but, if, like, when I realized that I was only 11 pounds down, I realized that, like, I have to do something extreme. So now, instead of doing keto or anything like that, I'm just doing, like, an aggressive dehydration weight cut yeah and that's that's like crazy like it's actually not crazy as long as my pee is clear i'm just gonna keep doing it and it's you know it's a lot of trash bags and uh like being worn as t-shirts and a lot of jogging and rowing and stuff but you know what's great about it the way i found it helps my archery is i am so fucked up and my nerves are so incredibly shot that i can tune my bows for this like half-assed shooting so that when i am feeling good the bow shooting really good. Mm-hmm. And so like I, on the drive over me and you, we just got some practice in on the drive over. I thought I was going to throw up on the Bay bridge, but the bow is shooting so good. So now I know, like I know that bow, those arrows, everything's going to, when I'm not, you know, after I eat some pizza, I'm going to be shooting like, you know, 28 X games, hopefully 30. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> well, anyways, um, so Last uh, podcast really got some people. I didn't. I didn't think that people were going to get so excited over arrow twirling. Oh yeah, arrow twirling. Yeah, yeah, because you're like a you were very I mean, staunch. I don't. I don't want to like rebring it up, but all I'm gonna say is like, there's certain people out there in the archery world that have made me change my opinion based on 
some of their comments on Facebook, not on our post, uh-huh. but like another post. And all I'm going to say is this. Yeah. You know what? They changed the rules. We'll play by the rules. That's, that's awesome, Rudy. It's cool that you can come out and be like, I've, you know, I've changed my I mean, it's stance. It's still silly that it has to be a rule, but then it's like, again, though, it's but like, yeah, fuck it. We'll just do it. You then know? again, though, we have to put like, you know, paint in the middle of the road and, you know, <laughs> so people drive on the so right side. Know what side of the road is staying on. <laughs> but yeah, you know, some people will take a position and they'll be so like anti change and then they'll just like die on that hill. You know, and they just won't change regardless of what anyone says to them. Now, what's funny is I was kind of like, uh, well, I was pretty stubborn about it, but let me put it, but the other people that were being stubborn about it just annoyed me enough to the point where I was like, I'm changing positions. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what I thought was really ironic was that you stopped twirling arrows. Like you're like, I'm going to figure this out so that oh, it doesn't screw me it, up. It's been hell. Let me tell you, because like tonight when we were shooting, I think I like didn't twirl the first two arrows. And then on the third arrow, I caught myself twirling and I was right? like, dang it. It just comes. It's like a, a reaction. Yeah, you know? It's like subconscious. It just happens. What's really funny is I was the guy that was saying like, who cares? We'll just stop twirling arrows. And I've twirled every fucking arrow that I've loaded into my bow since then. <laughs> yeah, I so, saw. I mean, you and Jim were doing it. You know, what was even more epic is uh, with Hoyt launching their new uh, Invicta uh, bow. Uh huh. Right. Like, I love that. In like the first like five seconds of the video, it's uh, it's a picture of Brian Gold, and like the very first thing he's doing is like twirling the arrow <laughs> as he loads it into the right into the, uh, into the bow, and I'm like. Yeah. On a shoot through riser, it's just kind of like you just kind of do it. It just works. That's yeah. To, to load it through the thing. But, you know, I'm going to start working on it. Mark Rubio has a, you know, has a really solid way of loading arrows. And so I'm going to practice his method. Yeah. Well, it goes along with this haircut. But <laughs> anyways. Uh, okay. So the new Invicta bow. So you got I, one. I got one. Um, it just launched on Tuesday. Uh huh. This is Hoyt's new my, flagship target bow. I got mine on Thursday. Kind of uh-huh. roughly threw it together. Shot through some paper. Um, got a good got a good tear. You got a bullet hole. I saw first, it on the first few shots. Uh huh. Um, you know, but like with anything, you know, when something's brand new, and once you start to settle into your shot, you know, I'm probably gonna want to retune and see how. Yeah. It's actually tuning to my shot because. I think when you get a new bow like the Invicta or any bow, Prevail, TRX, whatever, whatever you get, uh-huh. you know, when I, I, s- I don't want to mislead people and be like, oh yeah, man, right out of the box, it's a bullet hole. Yeah, you're going to shoot you know, 30Xs. Every, I, think, I think when you're setting up something in the first time and you're all excited about it, like everything works perfect. Uh-huh. So like, I think like Rio said it in our seminar, he's like, the toughest thing about when they're doing seminars is that like... The first, the first, he has everyone shoot like a, a round of arrows, right? So everyone's on their best behavior because it's like uh-huh. everyone shoots their best, mm-hmm. you know. But the point of seminar is to figure out what you're struggling with, right? And it's kind of the same thing when you get a new bow and you're just all excited about it. It's like, you know, you throw the rest on, you know, put an arrow in it, and then you shoot through paper and you're like, woohoo, woohoo. And it's like, well, was that your shot? Uh huh. And so I think. I think that uh, yeah was that your shot or are you shooting through paper <laughs> yeah exactly you know, and it's like you know consciously that you're doing that so oh that's interesting 
So I think what I need to do is just kind of run the bow and, and, and get used to it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you got to play with your weights a little bit because it's a different bow and it's lighter. I think it's like one quite, much quieter and less vibration, which, you know, you, you kind of get used to a bow doing a certain thing. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, mean, I'm enjoying it. Um, that bow made me eat my words because when Hoyt released that bow, I, I had made a bunch of like mean statements that it was just another prevail fucking new riser, no innovation. Like Bowtech at least comes out with like a worm drive, you know, for the, the cam, but uh, Hoyt just made the same old garbage, but it truly wasn't. It was like, after I shot it, they took the prevail, which I like, you know, which I really like. And they made it way more dead in the hand. Well, there was a lot that went into it that I think that is not in feature stuff. Yeah, that's not in it's the like mar- that's geometry. Not in marketing. Right. Yeah. You know, there there's a, if you look at the riser, um, I mean, yeah, they do tell you it's two and a half inches longer, but like Is it? Yeah, the, For the th- riser's Oh the the, the riser is riser, yeah. okay. But there's also with with that geometry in in new limbs, if you if you just look at the riser, you know, moment of inertia exists in like the rotation but also you know there's pivot points within the riser yeah and so i think if you just look at the way it's structured it on its own even without the dampeners because i took because i took the uh string stop off and i took some of the dampeners off and it's still shot right about the same like i shot it without the the stealth shot the the string stop yeah and i thought it was amazing yeah but yeah. one thing, one thing is like, I mean, I just been shooting a hunting bow for like the last month and a half. Like, I think the last time I shot my target bow was at the BC shoot, which was in August. Mm-hmm. And then I've just been shooting my hunting bow ever since. And so picking up the, the Invicta, I was kind of like, it, I was used to the sound and feel of it. Cause it was like my carbon, like shooting my carbon bow. Uh-huh. Well, not exactly like it, but it was, you know, you get that feel to it. Yeah. So I think it's going to be a great bow. Um, I think so too. I seen a short in the drawing. I, I ordered a cam that was too, too big. Shooting that, shooting your Invicta made me go set up my Prevail because I miss that feeling. Like Hoyts have a, a specific feeling, and the Invicta is just a little crisper, yeah. a little cleaner than the Prevail. Well, I'm like a huge spiral cam guy. I love the spiral cam. Yeah, me too. And uh, you know, when I've shot your TRX, you know, I kind of feel like they're it's. Like feel wise, it's something in between. Like mm-hmm. they went, they they started going to that quieter, dead in the hand feeling, but there's still a spiral cam on there. And I uh, and why why change something that's not broke? I let my cables out, so my cams don't feel the same. They don't feel like like if, if you time a TRX onto the stop or onto the timing marks, it feels more like a spiral cam. But mine, I've let the cables out, and I don't know if that's what is that? It's uh, over rotating them, or under rotating, doing something. Well, you've under rotated if you let them out. Okay, so I let the cables out, so the feel is a little softer. It's not. Yeah, so you're kind of it, kind of feel. Yeah, I know what you're you're talking about. You you let it out a little bit, so it's like you're 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 holding weights like a little bit different. Yeah, it's just a little bit less. Yeah, and uh, the draw cycle. Yeah. The draw cycle's a little softer. Yeah. So that's the way I like to run my bows right now. Just because I'm getting old and I'm falling apart and I jog instead of lift weights. So, Yeah. No, it's funny because like you can kind of, I've seen guys that uh, 
like when they're buying a hunting bow or they're like there there's a one school of thought where people would say oh when you're when you're ordering a bow and you're getting a cam order it in the smaller cam so you get you're on the back end uh-huh. and you over rotate it so like like on i believe it's like on the rx1 right you the number like one cam would go to like 28 inches and then the next size cam went from like 28 to like 30 inches or something i don't remember what the exact numbers were but there was like a little bit of overlap uh-huh. so setting it up to 20 i actually had a customer that liked the feel of the 28 inch draw length on the larger cam over the one on the smaller cam oh I've, he felt he felt like it was a little bit easier to hold so i've heard some people i think page softer page yeah. pierce was saying that she wanted her bow to feel like i think she's shooting a bow tech of course right or whatever the bow was at the time and to get that feel like a spiral cam she did the opposite where she went or she went a draw length mod up or a peg up and then draw stop pegged a module up in draw length and then a peg down uh, or short pegging short pegging basically you just take your oh, draw you stop mean, peg and you make it closer so like if your if your module is set to like the e position i'm just making that up I don't yeah know what is. you would set your your peg to d your okay. stop peg to d so, and then you so, time it accordingly so what it does is it the, cuts the valley off yeah so the draw length wise it's correct but but it changes the draw force yeah yeah okay. timing is correct but yeah i mean you have to retime it but you just cut the valley off me. I like a little bit of valley or at least a softer draw cycle. So that's why I, I let the cables out to get Yeah, the... I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the number two cam on it and then run it 27 and then over rotate. I like, I like the over rotated feeling more. So uh-huh. I, I like it a little bit more. Is, is that uh letting the cables out or yeah, tight? Tightening them up. Oh, tightening them so up. So I probably. So you like that like, aggressive. Yeah. So like on my preval, I had to like, crank the limp holds out quite a bit because then otherwise i ended up over like with a 60 pound limb like i ended up like at 62 or 63 pounds. right gotcha because he twisted the cables i think jesse broadwater does that to his bows also a lot of people do um and they then, twist everything up to 62 and then they yeah and i think some people do it because they don't have a choice meaning like they're like gigantic and need like a 33 inch draw length and right you know the, the best that they can come up with is you know like 32 and the cables, you know. Yeah. But um, but today we we uh we shot we shot the bows, we shot a lot of rounds, um, and we played around with a lot of arrows. Uh-huh. Um, I wanted you to like kind of talk about like some of the different veins you've been playing with and like okay why why you've chosen certain ones and like what you've been seeing. I love indoor season because I I experiment with as many arrows as I can get my hands on. And then as many point weights as I can get my hands on. And then veins follows as well. And just so you guys know, like, it's basically everyone in the archery community, like, telling Wendell, I have some extra of these arrows. You And Wendell's like, can I have those or borrow them if you're not using them? And it's like, he literally <laughs> has, like, a bucket where he's got, like, triple X's. He's got some tanks. He's got some super drives. Some I got Black Eagle Magnums. I, I, I mean, pretty much got every 27. It's like, it's like the air, lost arrow bucket. Yeah, but dozens. Small little sets. Of <laughs> it's true. I my original intention this year was to or uh, intention. My original plan was to get some triple X pros, and then just adjust point weight until I couldn't miss. But 
you know, I'm kind of finding something else is working right now. So I'm going to pursue that route. But tell us about your build, like what, like your with the 27s and what worked the best. For you. Uh, the best 27 experience I had was two years ago in Vegas. I shot with uh, Black Eagle Magnums, uh, cut to 28 inches with a 220 green point, and then four Fletch AAE Stealth. Like max, stealth. max stealth veins and uh it seems like those maths max stealth veins are solid because those are what i have on right now on the others I'm, I'm really digging right now and i'm liking them with my tanks uh they were given to me with flex fletch uh veins on them yeah are they they're not 400s right no the ones that that you had i think were the uh they were the ones that were originally designed for crossbow. They were like the SK three hundreds or something. On my uh, on my tanks? No, the ones that the ones that Jim gave you those Black Eagle Magnums. Oh, the Black Eagle Magnums. Yeah. yeah. So Jim gave me Black Eagle Magnums with uh, those are real stiff SK three hundreds, and I shot those in Cincinnati. And I had a good time shooting those in Cincinnati. Um, I you know played around with all different types since then. I have SK three hundreds on my triple X pros right now, four Fletch. They're good, but they're not perfect. And that could be point weight. It could be arrow length, but I haven't quite sussed out exactly what it is. I'm probably not going to mess around with it too much. Cause you know, time to start shooting, I think. Yeah. But, um, uh, so what about, what about those tanks that you shot? The tanks were cool. So the tanks had FFPs. Uh, they weren't four hundreds. They were like, which arrows did you have the uh, Q2Is on? I So I stripped off a couple of the FFPs off the tanks and put the Q2Is on the tanks. And the Q2Is seemed to clean things up a little bit. The arrows were already pounding really well, and which is crazy because it's a, a, 290, uh, a 290 point, which I've never shot before. I've never shot anything above 200. Oh, 220. I've never shot anything above 220. So the 290 point... To me, like I've tried in the past, and it just drags the arrow to the ground. Um, and then vertical, like vertical mistakes, or not even mistakes, but if I'm if my my pin is going up and down when the shot breaks, that arrow is going way out. It's going to be way low. It's it's like bouncing on your rest. That's what I think. It's bouncing on the rest. So I had a good experience shooting those tanks with uh, a QAD arrow rest, and it seemed to clean up a lot of that stuff. And it was pounding. It was good. I think I shot a 299 with those. Um, I shot a 300 with my PS26s, 30 inches, 200 grain point with feathers. That's the that's the build that I think anyone can shoot a 300 with. Is a 30 inch arrow, 30 inch PS26, 200 grain point with feathers, or any 27, any 27, 200 grain point with feathers. I know even if it's too stiff, even if it's matter. too stiff. Yeah. It doesn't matter at this, at this distance, it's all right. And right now I'm shooting about a half inch to three quarter inch left tear and arrows are pounding. They're super forgiving. Right I just now. keep going back and I, cause I got a lot of arrows I'm playing with right now too. Uh huh. But I just like, at the end of the day, like I just pull out my full bores and I think I have the best. You, you always go back to the full bores, which is pretty cool. You know, and that, those I have, I'm running at about 28 inches with uh 200 grain points uh-huh and um they're the but they're the 350 spine so they're a little bit so uh weaker they're not the 250s yeah i, th- I think the 350s are good my uh my magnums 
the Black Eagle Magnums, I ran at 350s. And I thought those were awesome. Granted, I'm not putting the same kind of power down through the chrono that you are. But uh, so the Q2Is, <clears throat> I've heard it explained that the stiffer vein helps steers the arrow better. So I feel like the Q2I vein kind of cleaned up the tank a little bit. And, you know, with that being said, the Q2I is a heavy, like super stiff vein yeah. to put on. Like you can feel it on the back of your arrow when you're twirling it, you know. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> I mean, you'd feel it, Rudy, of all people. I bet. Um, but right now I'm really liking the AAE Stealth uh yeah, you know, I had a bunch of those stealth veins that I got. I was at the ATA show, and like they give you a little goodie bag. Yeah. And so I had like a bunch of them, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna throw these on my Enduros, and then it's like, like I was afraid to strip them and take them off, and then that, the more I shot them, I just ended up lagging them. So I put some on my on my Super Drive 23s. Uh-huh. And those those I shot really good with. Um. I, I like those arrows a lot. But um, I'm gonna probably be shooting some twenty, some X twenty threes, X twenty threes, the aluminum ones. I'm gonna try them out. Cool. And then to get some points, and I have. I'm gonna run two hundred on those and just see. What so when I I also have some twenty three twelves, I also have some twenty three elevens, and uh, I shot them with two hundred grain points really well. I think you'd you'd and do then, great with uh, that. Yeah. How did you flush them? Did you go right or left heel? Um, you know, I can't remember. I think I did left helical just for the cable clearance. You know, it it was uh, funny is that recently someone was asking me about how important it is to fletch, uh, like which direction of fletch. And, um, I honestly don't think it matters. And I know that there are probably better shooters than me out there that will tell you it does matter. And I mean, let's speak strictly for indoors. Um, for indoors, you get a large arrow, right? So uh, that wide diameter arrow with a high profile vein, it may clip your cables. Yeah. So I like going left helical so that just so I can get that clearance. That's what I've always done too with mine is I've run them left on the indoor shafts just to clear the cables. Yeah, it just but, gives you a little bit of room. But I mean, I, I understand the logic behind the yeah the theory behind doing left or right helical and so basically what we're talking about is um you you clock your arrows and see which way they naturally want to rotate so, yeah you take a sharpie marker yes, make a line on your arrow you take your bare shafts with without the arrow being fleshed and then you stand like you know two feet away from the target you know i mean almost to where the you might even want to take the stabilizer off i don't know uh-huh uh, and then you, you mark it with a Sharpie at the 12 o'clock position, and then you shoot it into the bale, and then you slowly walk back like a foot at a time, and then you start to see um, how the where the Sharpie starts to rotate. It'll either start to rotate to the right, or it'll start to move to the left. And so the theory is, is if it's moving to the left, you use the left helical. If it rotates to the right, mm-hmm. then you use the right helical. And the theory behind that is the arrow... If it naturally rotates right and your left helical, the second the arrow comes out of the bow, it kind of stalls or knuckleballs or some bullshit, and then it corrects and then starts spinning the right way. Yeah, you know, I'd be I'd be curious to hear what what some people think. So I know 
for a fact that this has to do that that direction that your bear shaft will spin has to do with the direction of your string, the twist in your main string. And George Riles posted a video about this. I, I had already figured this out, clocking bear shafts on two different bows. And, um, but George Riles did a, a video. It's on YouTube now where he takes a, a bow. He clocks it, you know, clocks arrows. Okay. They naturally rotate left. He takes the string off and puts it back on like upside down or twists it the other way. I can't remember exactly what he does, but he shows the twist going the other way and shoots it and that the arrows clock the other way. So it's all, it, there's a, I can't remember exactly what it is, you know, uh, that the direction of the string will tell you which way it will clock. You got to watch the video. Um, but the, the natural spin of your bear shaft will be dictated by the direction that your string is twisted. Man, I would like for someone to explain that one to me. The oh, why it does that? Yeah. So he has a really good explanation where it's um, your servings are super tight now. Like, so now strings are made, and servings are ultra tight. So the area in between those servings are areas that the string will twist when it's at full draw. When you're at full draw and you hit the let off point, the amount of stress that's on your strings is not even like it's a couple you know sixteen pounds, and those strings are made for handling hundreds of pounds or right. you know. Yeah, hundreds of pounds of stress. So they're only turned a little bit. And then when they when you let it go, all that stress is coming back on those strings and they're flipping and they're they're the parts that aren't served are turning. And they're I don't yeah, I, I can't say I see, I see without bullshitting what yeah, what's happening under the serving or what's happening to the string itself. But that is what causes that arrow to spin. See, I would say maybe a good test to like would be to maybe videotape the string with like a slow motion camera and then maybe with like with a sharpie marker like, mm-hmm. like get a white string or something right and then with the black sharpie mark one half of the of the string and then watch it well watch it through slow motion and actually see if it's twisting and rotating i've posted yeah, it makes sense but i've posted a bunch of pictures on facebook of people shooting their bows and the arrow will be in like mid flight coming out of the bow and you can see the string on a bow. It doesn't like uniformly slap back yeah, to straight. It does awesome. that. It's oscillating. Yeah, in a wacky way too. Like they'll they'll go all over, and I bet you that has something to do with the direction of the twist. Hmm. So, yeah, what would be cool is to get a left clocking arrow, bear shaft, fletch it right, and then shoot it under a high speed camera, and then do it. With left to see if there is a spin difference, like number of turns. Question I, I have though is, does it matter? Like, I guess no. that's what we got to determine. Does it matter? I would say no. I mean, we're shooting 20 yards with a broomstick. Pretty much. If you're going to miss it, left or right helicle is not going to help you. I mean, I'm all about trying to do every little thing that you can to get an extra point. But If you're shooting for 50 grand, yeah, do it. Invoke the wrath of science. Maybe I will. You should. You should. You know, uh, but for everybody else, the rest of us that are just going to shoot flights, it don't matter. Just get your shot down. Figure out how to shoot. Figure out how to chain together a couple X's and then figure out how to chain together a couple more and then shoot a 300. Yeah, sounds good. Um, now, for your for the indoor setup, um, you've been playing around with all the different veins. Um, 
one of the things that I've been kind of happy with uh, shooting the drop away rest is uh, not having issues with vein contact. Yeah. And I kind of like how the drop away is kind of opening up this world of playing with stiff veins and softer veins and all these different configurations because it's for fletch even if you want yeah no because like this time the year is cool to play around with this stuff because it's like with with the blade i almost never deviated from shooting one type of vein because you know i was afraid of getting a high tear because it no matter how you rotated the arrow it's going to clip somewhere on yeah it's going to be clipping or touching something Mm -hmm. so i'm really digging that right now um but I've also gone the route of the drop away. Now, one of the things uh, that you've been dabbling about is is how stiff that blade is. Yeah, yeah. Um. Well, right now I'm just running the regular. I'm actually running the blade on my Prevail. It's the same wiggly launcher blade that I was telling you not to use, and I told Jade not to use. I will. I do want to put a G Flex blade on there. But I'm just kind of lazy, and the bow is shooting so good right now. I don't want to don't want to mess with it. Don't want to mess with it. But yeah, I think um, I think a stiffer launcher uh does something where the on a drop away, not on a drop on away, a drop away. Yeah, not on a not on a blade rest, not on a a launcher blade. That's quite the opposite. You'd want like a the softest one you can get. But uh, I don't know. What do you think of the the drop away? You've been running the yours for a long time. Well, the I, I think what I like about the uh, drop away is how I have the the the, the cables timed. Mm-hmm. You know, I have it set up to where it stays up longer, but then clears the vein just slightly, like it's just dropping a little bit. So, right, if, you're if running do, the uh, the Wilkie, the Kevin Wilkie special on uh, this one. On this one, I'm doing something in between. I, I didn't actually build a string and tie it off to the end of the limb but um i think there's something to what we talked about the other day where when you're shooting a real heavy arrow on on a soft blade you know any little movement in your bow it's bouncing on that launcher yeah and having a stiffer blade you know on a drop away Mm -hmm. you know at least when you're setting up and and executing i think you, you get less yeah or less oscillation even if you're good at aiming and your pin is going from the top of the 10 to the bottom of the 10 to the top of the 10, right? If you can aim that good, that up and down, if that blade is soft, like ultra soft and you got a heavy arrow, that arrow is going to be bouncing up and down. And on the, you know. Well, it's funny you say that because like there's, there was times where like I broke a shot and it, the pin was nowhere near where the arrow hit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like sometimes it was like an exact opposite spot. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's from that. That's what I think that that thing is. And, you know, someone might call bullshit on that, but I've shot a lot of arrows downrange and I believe that. I truly believe that. And I think the QAD shooting 295 points out of a QAD is a perfect example. That's I think I think it's maybe something that we notice more because we're such short draw lengths. It could like be. I'm 27. On a guys like us with a short draw yeah, length. So our arrows are sticking out, like half our arrows exactly. are sticking out the riser. Exactly. Whereas like someone like, uh, I mean, I don't know, Steve Anderson, who's like 32 inch draw length. Yeah, Tim Gillingham. You know, like they're shooting, they can shoot anything. And it's like the arrow is resting, resting on the blade at the tip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The arrow. So it's like. 
That's true. That's something I think most women and other short draw uh, guys will realize is that you can have a lot of extra arrow sticking yeah. out of the front. And that's one thing that's been kind of frustrating for me. And I think we got to figure this. I think we're close to figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Is I think I think that the physic. I don't think the physics change, but because we're short, people in the shorter draw length. Like we have a we I feel like we just shoot a better arrow that is spined correctly. Yeah. Or spined closer to um what is appropriate as opposed to just running you know That could be stiff, but the arrows stiff. I'm shooting now I think are too stiff. I think but, what you're saying but is there's right. There's a lot of arrow out there though. That's true. There is a lot of arrow out there. And I think that, and then also you're only running 200. You're not running like three or four, like somebody, you know, going crazy. Like some of these guys. are. That's true. That's true. I think speed for short draw people, speed is going to take up some slack, you know? So, well, I don't know. We'll, we're going to do some more playing around and hopefully we can update everybody on it. But I mean, um, yeah, maybe for for people, short draw people out there that are listening and have had any kind of, uh, like issues or maybe successes on on what's what you've gotten to work for you let us know yeah that would be pretty cool like i i got a lot of notes because we got to figure this out for the short people <laughs> we do yeah i guess i don't like helping my competition out but i guess that's messed up man ah, fuck everybody Except for you guys. Except for the listeners. <laughs> You're such a dork, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so, let's see. I, I had a question for you, Rudy. I was just recently put some strings on my prevail. My peep alignment is... I found that getting my peep to align was a pain in my ass. And I think a lot of people are running their bows with like their peep slightly off or slightly angled. You know, left or right. And maybe that works for them. But I know some people that like absolutely cannot have that. And they need their peep to be right down the middle. So what are your tricks for for uh, getting your peep to align? Um, well, of course, it's always that frustrating first thing that you have to deal with. Um, I think the quality of the string will like some are better than others. So, uh-huh. you know. Some require more work. Some require less work. Um, I didn't have a whole lot of issues with the exit wire magnums. Um, and uh, on my hunting bow, I ran the gas bowstring. And on my hunting bow, I actually ran a hamski peep. You know, so I had that barrel uh-huh. on there. So, you know. The insight peep? Mm-hmm. Cool. So I think, I think part of it is how you set up your bow. So um, the first thing is... Um, Guys will, when they're setting it up, the first thing they do is put a D loop uh-huh. on their string, and so I that's also something that I like to do. But when I put my D loop on there, I don't like to put it on there too tight. I kind okay. of put it on there kind of loose so I can still move it, like spin it up and down the. Well, just like rotate it, like cause, oh, because here's left the thing, and right. right. So a lot of guys will will get the bow out of the box. You know, they'll adjust the. I you know adjust the cam lean, throw the D loop on there, and then like freaking cinch it down, and and then they throw the peep into, they throw the bow into the press, and then they throw the peep in there, and they just now with these like hamski peeps and specialty peeps that are like, 
I'm not going to call them like super gigantic, but they're a lot bigger than a normal, like, you know, Fletcher peep or meta peep or just something. Uh huh. Right. So you add all, you're basically opening up that hole in the string and that causes rotation. Mm -hmm. Right. So now what you've done is you've sent it up, centered up your D loop where it's perfectly straight. And now you stuck this gigantic peep in there and now everything is cocked. Right. So, um, the first thing I do is, um, I, I, like I said, put the the loop on there kind of loose. Um, and then, um, usually for indoor, I run, um, my peep four inches from the center of the arrow at full draw. Okay. So my, my D loop is on there secure enough to where I can pull it back, um, and on the draw board and it's not going to come off, but it's not like got the, the final, the super super cinch, you know? Right. So. Um, you let your peep settle first and then you well what I'll do is I'll, I'll draw back on the bow get it into the right get it into the right position and then because um, you know I'll, I, I run it roughly four inches and then for outdoor I'm running it like 3.8 but um, once I do that then I kind of like to see where the string naturally wants to rotate you know and so so you know I'll shoot through a couple through paper shoot a couple blank bill and usually in like the first 20 shots, you'll kind of see which way the peep wants to go. Uh-huh. Right. And then if I see it wanting to go a certain way, what I'll usually do is I'll add a, a twist to the, to the, to the top string. And what that's going to do is it's going to drastically move it in, in the direction that you add the twist to. Right. Right. And so, you know, once I do that and I repeat that process, if it, if it's too much and it's wanting to go, you know, still wanting to move in that same direction, but now it's on the other side. And what I'll do is I'll take a twist out of the bottom end of the camp. And so if that doesn't do it, because essentially adding to the top cam, adding that twist there, it's closer to the peep. So I think it's going to affect it more. Okay. So then I'll take one out of the bottom and then usually like that, that makes it kind of good. Yeah. You're hundred percent right there. And then I, and then I start to train the D loop. And then one, one thing I forgot to mention is also making sure that, your center serving is actually fits your knock because if the knock is too tight um, and then it pinches the string and and you just start shooting your bow and you, you start to train that center serving to, to accept the knock in one position, then you're always going to be fighting the peep oh. because then you, you knock the arrow <coughs> and, then, and then it, it, it'll turn mm-hmm. the same way that you said, like, you know, when you're watching it in slow motion, when we're talking about the string, how it violently moves. Right. Well, when it's in the knock position and you've created that little groove on there, or created that flat side on the, on the center serving, then that's the position that the string is going right. to twist on. So, so it's real critical in those initial setup phases that you make sure that you have good knock, knock, knock clearance. Mm-hmm. You know, that the knock good knock fit. fit. Yeah. So not super tight. Yeah. So I think between all those variables, all those variables put together, like that's how you're going to get a peep that doesn't rotate on you. But it helps when, you know, somebody makes a good high quality string and, you know, they've, they've, uh, served the, the, uh, string under, you know, tension, a lot right. of tension. Right. So, you know, I think whether you go with the first string and ABB, um, I don't know about a, ABB, but a gas string. Yeah, gas strings are good. You know, any any of these companies that are that are making custom handmade strings, and, and I'm gonna say 
dream companies that are still somewhat small, you know, um, I think there's a point where some stream companies got too big and then, and then the quality kind of goes to crap. Uh huh. Um, so you were saying train your D loop. Now, do you mean like if you're trained to Pete, meaning like you, you, you got to move the loop in, in line with the peep Uh and then, and then see which way it's naturally rotating. And when you get it to, to see where it's going and between the, the, the twist in the top and removing it in the bottom, then you cinch it down and then you kind of have to sort of train the loop, move the loop and twist uh-huh. the string. I've done that before. But, but I'm, I'm talking like just a hair here. Right. So this is like, if you're, if your peep is slightly off, say the back, the, the peep side that's closest to you is sitting at like, say five o'clock, you would set your D loop to like four o'clock and then cinch it super tight. So then when you pull it back, it pulls your peep into I would, line. I'm not cinching it at that point. I'm not happy with it if it's that cocked. Oh, really? Yeah. I do. I've done some janky I'm gonna, I'm gonna, shit like I'm that. I'm going to try to fix it. Because here's the thing, right? So like, even if you have good knock, uh, a good knock fit, you are going to start to bias that center string. So the more you shoot it and the more you start to create that groove, it, it's going to just... I feel like it's going to make it harder for it to adjust in the future. And then... And then you're messing around with the string a ton. Then you're adding and you're moving twists and mm. really getting like super. That makes sense. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, I, I found that the best way to do it is the way that you said, put the bow in a press, <clears throat> put a twist in the top and then do a couple in the bottom to make everything line up straight. There's another trick. How do you tie your peep in? Do you just seat belt it? Or do you go top and bottom servings? Do you do um, classic? I do a safety tie. So like honestly, the way I learned how to tie a peep was like a long ass time ago. Specialty has like this like super super simple way to tie a peep, which is basically a like a cinch knot. So all I do is like I do I put one loop around the the peep that's like just a like a half hitch, and then I add another loop around it and then bring it through and so it's like two knots okay and that's it and then i cinch it and that's like the safety that goes around it and then and then i do um a little bit of serving on the top and the bottom okay but usually i don't add the that in until i'm 100 percent happy with moving the peep up or down a little bit and because i mean i'll still kind of you know in, in, fine tune I'll, I'll still kind of bump it a little bit if i'm not you know, especially like with the new bow that I'm shooting now, I'm going to be fudging with that thing until a I, bunch. Get, I get it yeah. right. Because it's a different geometry. Right. So I'm just going to be playing with it and seeing what feels comfortable for me. Do you notice when you tie the peep in, when you do the top and bottom servings, it changes the angle that the peep sits? Yeah. So what I've done to kind of prevent that from 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 making it from making it worse is that it is um, rather than... I see a lot of guys, they'll take the string and then they'll, they'll jam it in there, you know, and then, you know, cause they'll start to wrap around it. I kind of look at which way it's twisting and if it's going, let's say it's twisting to the right. What I'll do is I'll start to wrap it in the opposite direction oh. to kind of force it to move one way. And then I'll do the opposite on the bottom. Oh, interesting. So that would be like, or, I... if, or if it's sitting exactly where I want it, then I'll just tie it going with the twists. Right. So then, then, then it's like low impact. But then again, I like a string that has a lot of twist in it. So, so 
you know, there's not a whole lot of gap between like the V and where the peep is actually sitting. Gotcha. So like to when if when 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 you start to push those ends together, I'm not I'm not pinching the V at all. Like I'm literally I'm serving right up to the edge of where the V naturally starts. Oh, okay. It's just there as like a to keep it insurance. Yeah. Um but technically the way my strings are twisted or like the way I've gotten them from first string in the past, like I can shoot I can shoot without serving on the top or bottom. Right, right. I I don't serve top or bottom. Oh, I have on my Matthews bow. I haven't served like that, but on my Hoyt, I just go seat belt. I mean, I've I've done it now before going to like you know Vegas or something because you don't know what those idiots in TSA might do. They might grab your bow from the peep if when they're going through your stuff, and it might shift it, and then you're just like, well, definitely not yours. They just let you cruise right through. Yeah. But it's good. You should be. I don't look like a criminal. You yet. should be cautious. <laughs> uh, I noticed that. I like how you said the V. The it's like the legs that are going to the peep, right? The string. Yeah, there's when like there's, the twist, and then it, where it separates. Right? Yes, yeah. where, where, the, where the string separates and becomes like this V that goes to the peep. There's going to be a V on the top and the bottom. What I've noticed is these two legs. One leg will be in front of the other. Is yeah. and I noticed that if you cinch down a knot. The one that's in front will will kind of like pull back a little bit, so you could cinch a knot down on that on that front leg and kind of f- you can adjust the peep a little bit that way. Yeah, it's like that's like what I'm saying is like you can start to wrap it in the direction of how it's I like that. Yeah, to kind of also you know keep it from going one way. Yeah. The other thing is I I don't also you know tight do them super tight like I'm not like doing it like a center serving i'm keeping it somewhat semi-soft where like if i had to i could still push them out of the way a little bit uh-huh. and, and move my peep and then re get a little adjustment and then cinch them back in yeah so i mean i don't know like uh, i kind of do like an alan brunetta approach to it and it's like i've just done it so many times that like i kind of look at it and be like yeah this this way it just looks good this time and and i keep you know you know i'll, I'll do it keep improving it evolving it yeah you know um recently though with i have seen a few bows that have had you know strands kind of breaking Mm -hmm. not breaking but like wearing around the peep um i've seen that a lot lately a lot lately and it's been with these larger peeps and stuff yeah and so you know um i was um i was talking to scott at purse strings and he um was telling me about a way of tying the center serving um that doesn't put pressure in that groove around the peep, uh-huh. you know, cause there's, there's the, the peep that's kind of cradling the, the, or the string is cradling the peep through those little channels. Right? Uh-huh. And then, and then go, the peep has then, grooves that yeah, for the and string. Then you go and tie a knot around that. Right. Then it's like kind of squeezing it. Everything squeezing together. the strings a little. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, there's a way to tie it to where all you do is you, you do wraps on one side coming up, you know, from the bottom and then you wrap around one side of the, the edge of the V and then you put a couple wraps around the, um, the, uh, the actual uh, peep itself. And then you go around the opposite side. Okay. So like the he, classic. He said he was going to send me a, a, a video. Oh, so is this there's like... a way that he does it. That's different. Okay. That, um, that, and he says, he's all Rudy. He's like, if you can get it to move, he's like, I'll buy you dinner. Cause like when you tie it this way, it ain't going to move on you, but it's also easy enough to, 
to cut off or remove if you need to make oh nice that's cool so um i just i just i mean i just talked to him about that the other day so oh that's cool you have to show me I, I know that there's a classic way, which I is where you... Masked, I just haven't figured it out yet, 100%. Uh-huh. And I don't like to, like... You want to vault something. I don't want to be like, okay, Wendell, this is how you do it. And, like, it's completely wrong. Oh, yeah. Well, even so, I just want to know. I mean, I'm just going to run seatbelt anyway because I'm lazy as shit. But... I mean, that's the easiest one, and I find it works. Yeah. But I think with uh, some of the... Those, like I said, those bigger peeps that have more of a tube or, like, a, you know, I'm not just, like point picking on hamski or specialties new peeps but there are other peeps out there that are more elongated now that you know and with as much energy as going through those bows and how's violently i mean there there's yeah. some friction in there yeah and they the the grooves that they cut for the string into those peeps yeah. are nice and wide and flat so when people are cinching their their seat belt tie down they, they're getting real deep into the strings there yeah and then and then if they end up moving it under tension it's like you're just like sanding away the inside yeah that's true so um what kind of serving string do you use for your peep i use the the uh, bcy 3d 3d yeah because it's not so i've seen guys use halo and to me that's a guaranteed way to fuck up your peep oh i believe that because it's so it's oh the peep itself or the string around the for the peep Oh, really? Well, like, if you use Halo to tie things together. Because think about it like this, right? Guys hear that Halo is the best, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what you're putting on on the cam serving. And uh-huh. so then what do you think they do? They go out and they buy their favorite color Halo serving and they keep it in their pack. But it's like the Halo stuff is so, I mean, it's like 100%, you know, um, Dyneema. And uh-huh. so, like, that stuff is, like, what they use on, uh, like, spider fishing wire that, you know, I mean, the stuff is, like, really... I mean, you could probably use it in like your emergency survival kit to cut down a tree. Stuff is so like it's it's very strong. Okay. Right, and so. I wonder how many people out there are like, oh yeah, I know what spider fishing wire is. Um, probably just Jim Padilla. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, it's 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 a. Uh, I I said Danny, I meant it's a braided spectra. Sorry. Okay, spectra. Sorry, sorry guys. See, I I probably about right. I see a laser pointing at my eye right now. Yeah, I can see like a, there's going to be a bald listener out there that's like punching his table right now going, no, that's fucking burning spectra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but it's really, it's really tough, right? So the the BCY, the 3D stuff's a little bit softer. Mm-hmm. And, you know. It, I think you turned me on to. Slide, it, it will allow you to move it without like causing too much friction on the. Now the 62XS, which is what I use on my center serving and what most people like that has more texture to it. And so I think if you were to tie that around your peep and then you end up moving it, I think it adds to friction. I think you turned me on to the 3D stuff. It's like a thicker, is it a thicker serving? I think it's serving? 17 thousandths. 17 thousandths? Yeah. It, you, you gave me some serving that was a thicker black uh, serving material. And I really like that. A lot of people don't know this, but I'm Asian, so my skin is dry. Oh, that was just regular 62 and like twi- and 25 thousandths. So that's... What, is it BCY? Mm-hmm. That's the it's shit I BCY. use. Uh, well, whatever. I don't fucking know. There is no other. I don't work in a shop. But being Asian, my skin's really dry. And if I do regular serving stuff, it cuts the insides of my fingers. Like the corners of my fingers where I'm tying a yeah. tight knot. And uh, so you know, I'm sure there are other Asian guys that shoot in the Bay Area. They might want to use like... What I've done is gone to this thicker serving string. And it's really like nice and easy on my dainty fingers. 
Well, you've probably used Halo in the past and probably weren't even thinking about it. And like Halo will always cut your fingers. Yeah, cuts the shit out of my fingers. When I built like strings for myself in the past, or like if I got a teardrop bow and I got to make a string for it or something, and um, like when I've used Halo, it's like I almost always end up with a little tiny cut. Yes, right there on the corner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and it's annoying. Uh huh. If you watch like string makers, you can they they like freaking racked up wrap duct tape and stuff around uh-huh. fingers like, that's what i was doing i was using painter's tape to protect yeah. my fingers but that that halo went With right the through though it it kind of has a it's not completely braided it's it's like semi-braided so like oh the 3d it, okay yeah, yeah if you if you were to like take a strand and then rotate it the opposite way like mm-hmm. you could actually unravel it unravel like some of the individual uh-huh. i know which one yes I have some of that right now on my my prevail. It's black and white. Yeah, no, yeah. I love I love that stuff. I, I use it for everything and for tying knocking points mm-hmm. like on recurves or even like on your uh, on your compound. Um, like it, it kind of nestles itself in between the you know those um, the the wraps on your center serving. Oh, so like when you're tying a knocking point, like it it's like it's. It's almost as if like you're taking and you're wrapping it in between like a bolt, like in the threads. Like it just sits yeah. in there really nice. Okay. Little side sidetrack here. Uh how do you tie an knocking point? Do you go uh one over the top, one under? Do you go one under? I do three. Like actually like Or no I I do one one knot, uh, like a like a like a three knot. So it's Okay. Like, I don't know what you call it, but it's No, no like, I know what you're saying. You have three wraps around, right? Well no well okay. So okay. I you do a regular cinch knot, right? And yes. And before you cinch it, you add one more loop through it, like one more tie. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then and then I I tie it there and then I go underneath it, go on top of it, and and like I said, I'm going to AB it. I'm like just kind of looking at it and Is this on the top or you just go under? You're not four on the top, four on the bottom. You go four and four? I'm just saying if I do that, sometimes I'll do less, sometimes I do more. Uh-huh. Like I said, I'm totally AB in it and just looking at it and see what feels good for me at that moment. But typically it's around four to five. And then what I do is I go back with a single knot in between each of those. And make it permanent. Yeah, so so like it's it's pretty tight but not super tight. And then and so like if I've done like three or four, then there's gonna if it's three, then I do two on the top and one on the bottom. And it just sort of fills in the gaps and it makes it really tight. And then when I hit it with the lighter it, it, it's like super solid. I don't use super glue or anything like that. Nice. And it won't move. Nice. So four and four, four top, four bottom. Ish, yeah. Ish. It's not an exact science, but I just kind of look at it. Well, I thought it was an exact science. That's why I go four bottom, I and that's make it. it. Look good. That's all. <laughs> I always go four bottom. But but I also nothing on top. Part of what makes mine look really good is that when I melt it, uh huh, or when I hit it with a lighter. Like I let I let it catch a little bit of flame and then I like just jam my thumb down on it. Uh huh. And, and smooth it over. Well, like I mean, I just I mean, like I I I stomp on that thing like it's like I'm like to, like it's on fire. Like a spider. <laughs> like it's it's like and people are like, you don't burn your thumb. And I'm sure you did once. No. But your fingers are just dead. It just extinguishes it pretty good. Yeah. I I try to do that now too. I'll I'll give my finger a little lick because. Like I said before, there's actually a scientific fact to that. What's that? When you put moisture on your finger and put it onto like a hot flame. Uh huh. I forgot what it's called, but there's like this, this effect where it's like 
the the this like layer of steam create is created between your skin and whatever molten object it is. And so like there's those guys that will like dip their hands in water uh-huh. and then they'll like pour molten lead on their hand and they'll like they'll just run their hands through it and they don't burn themselves. What? Yeah. Molten lead? Yeah, if if there if your if your hands are wet and you put it into like quickly on a flame, like just really quickly, like you can actually extinguish it without burning yourself. It creates like this like barrier in between where it's not or the flames not touching you yeah i gotta i gotta look it up and t- tell you you do don't try this at home guys seriously <laughs> like <laughs> like t- i don't want to have people like on the podcast going well rudy and wendell are dipping their hands in lead <laughs> i know what i'm doing tonight <laughs> no but the point is is that like it melts this nice little bead right onto the i like that it makes it like kind of solid as opposed to i always have trouble super glue your way might be better than mine because when I push down on the bead, I try to do that also. But sometimes I make a little shell that ends up flapping up. And then, like, you know, I have my serving and then I have this, like, melted, smooth bead fucking tag. Uh, maybe, I'll, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll do that, like, next week. I'll just do, like, a little, uh, like, Instagram story on what I'm talking about. Yeah, dude, I made one about fucking stripping veins off an arrow and sure most people don't need to see that but someone out there might might need to know how to do that so i think they're afraid i think you got to buy some expensive fancy tool to do it yeah i just i use my blades um so anyway i was gonna say i go four on the bottom nothing on top and the science behind it is that if you put a knock point on top i've heard them say that that upper knock point drives the arrow downwards do you find that that to so, be bullshit? No, there's actually there's a, a process to that. So, if um, so, let's just say you take a D loop without any knocking point. Correct. Right. Or not correct, but I'm listening. Right. Like that's how a lot of shops out there set it up. Anyway. Yeah, shame, shame on them. But go on. So you know you, they just throw a D loop on there and they they switch it. There you go. So if you um, if you put the knocking point below, if I remember correctly. It induces a low tear. Okay. So, like, if you have a bow that naturally wants to tear high, and you put it on the bottom, it can help with inducing a low tear. Now, the benefit to that is if you look at a a D loop, and you pull on it with a release, like you notice that it the loop will kind of tend to move in an upward position, mm-hmm. right, or kind of loop up. So, what that means is that when you're pulling back on the, the D loop without a knocking point, the hook of the loop of the release is not directly behind the knock. And so by putting the knocking point on the bottom, it puts it more behind behind the knocking point. So like so like essentially if when you pull do you get you know what I'm saying? A little bit. Okay, so like imagine there's the arrow and it's sitting in be, then there's the knock sitting in between the two loops. Uh-huh. Or sitting in, in your D loop, right? Uh-huh. And so like in theory, you if, if you're pulling back on that D loop, you would want the energy to stay directly behind the knock. Uh-huh. Right? The knock of the arrow. In the absence of that that serving or that tied knocking point underneath it, what happens is the the release hook ends up <coughs> drifting above the plane of the knock so so it's like not sitting directly behind it but then moves above it oh and so by putting that knocking point on the bottom you basically bring it directly behind the knock interesting and so but that also induces a a low a low, a low tear. tear 
And now if you have an issue where you have a bow that's tearing low, then you can do the opposite and put the knocker on the top. Okay. And so, if you do two? So typically one that has two on it, um, then, um, which is also another common method, um, typically that's good for people that are shooting like caliper releases or something that has like a really big jaw on it. But typically the one on the bottom is going to be the best one. Cool. And, it, and then... But if you're going to do one on the top, like if you did like four on the bottom and then did like maybe two or three on the top one, like then that can help with knock pinch. But I've never had an issue with knock pinch. Right. When I just do one on the bottom. Right. I've, I've seen some knock pinch going on lately. And um, for everyone out there, you should be able to wiggle that knock uh, just a little bit, at least between your your knock points. Maybe we'll or your, do a video about that or something. Right? Yeah. Soon. Okay. Yeah, we'll do something. We'll show somebody. My notes. Well, man, um, I think that was pretty good. Yeah, um, we went over you know a lot of the indoor stuff that people were asking about, and um, uh, people are still talking about outlaws. It's like I think we've talked about it so much. I'm hoping that soon we can have uh, Tommy Daly come on and give us a little bit more history. And is he one of the? Is he just one of the original outlaws? What's Tommy's? Uh... He's one of the. One of the founders. One of the founders. Yeah, I knew he was it's like basically, basically it's uh, Tommy Daly, um, Randy Tucker, um, Heather Tucker, um, and uh, Cave Johnson, um, and Tim Burnett and Ben Hobbs were like the like original like board members or directors of it. Oh wow! But right now it's pretty much like Ben, Tommy, and Heather and Randy that do most of the work. Tim Burnett's not that guy that was a Hoyt Pro staffer that is now like a pro cornhole thrower, is he? Yeah, he used to own Impact Archery. Oh, okay. Fresno and then sold it to Brian Webb. I heard that guy's really and, cool. Yeah, he's also doing cornhole now, which is really cool. Yeah. That's good. That like, uber cool. <laughs> Way better than archery. Okay, but anyways. Um, but yeah, so hopefully we can have him on. And um, Tommy Daly. Yeah. Because he's willing, he he wants to chat and talk about outlaws. Because we've been getting a ton of questions about it, and even though we're getting into the indoor season, I think guys want to start picking partners and, uh huh, you know, figuring out and what just they're going to do for next year, getting things ironed out for, yeah, or at least have a solid plan for outdoor season coming Absolutely. up. Absolutely. So hopefully we'll have Tommy on. You can talk about it, and then uh, in the in the pipeline we also have a few a few other cool guys, cool guys that you guys will definitely are going to go crazy. Yeah, we just got to get their lazy asses over here or get our lazy asses over to them. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Uh, Wendell, that was great. Yeah, thanks, Rudy. This was good. All right, we'll uh, chat with you guys later. I hope you all learned something. Yeah, give us any questions or feedback on our Facebook posts. Um, specifically, uh, if anything that we were talking about doesn't make any sense at all, maybe what we'll do, if we have enough questions about it, I'm just going to do a video explain it because like i'm over here waving my hands right now and uh you guys can't see me waving my hands and trying to describe what i'm trying to say i'm sitting here and i don't know what he's saying but (laughs) if we had a bow and you could show us with a bow that it's actually really simple when when i can put it there in front of you but there is i don't know there's a lot of gold in what we just said and i think uh i think people should gold in everything you say wendell um, yeah (laughs) all right i think we're done all right good night everybody (laughs) peace out That will conclude this evening's entertainment.